Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day, ladies, and all of you watching online. Thank you for that. It's great to see all of you here, and many of you sent in pictures of your mom, your families, and normally, during one of the songs, we would have those uh, pictures displayed, but there were so many. We had hundreds and hundreds of them. We'd had to be playing them through the whole thing, so we set aside. Our tech team created uh, a, a great segment to honor moms, and it'll be made available on the website later this afternoon, so you can find it there and share it. It's a great tribute uh, to moms. I heard about a dad who really wanted to honor uh, the mother of his children, his wife, and he felt like, you know, I really haven't been that attentive to her. You know, I really haven't, yeah, you know, I just haven't engaged. She's keeping everything going, and I really want really to honor her and surprise her for Mother's Day. So he went and bought this huge bouquet of flowers, and he bought a lot of candy, and he said, you know, I'm going to do something a little different. Instead of going through the garage, I'm going to go through the front door, and I'm going to really surprise her. So he did. He gets the flowers, he gets the candy, and so he makes his way to the front door and uh, rings the doorbell. She opens the door, and there he is, flowers in one hand, candy in the other. He drops to one knee, and he starts singing to the top of his voice, when a man loves a woman. And of course, she starts crying. She just breaks down, starts crying. He goes, well, what, what did I do wrong? What's wrong? And she goes, you don't understand. The dishwasher broke, and it just flooded the floor. She said, the kids have been horrible. The house is a mess. Nothing has worked right today. And then to top everything off, you come home drunk. <laughs> so guys, I hope you can really honor her today in a way that doesn't freak her out or surprise her too much. But it is a wonderful opportunity we have to honor these very special ladies in our life. And, and I would tell you, as we talk about this idea of peace, peace, I can tell you probably every lady and every mom and all watching online would say that's a great gift for Mother's Day. I would love, love for God just to give me peace. Mary mentioned it a moment ago. Women have a, a difficult time just getting their minds to calm down. You know, before Cindy went to heaven, she and I were together for 42 years since we were 17. And boy, I would see her process things, and I would see her try to deal with things, and I would try to, you know, I'd try to help her a little bit, be able to kind of calm her mind and that sort of thing. But I, I recognize that, boy, this just is what it is. She's just going to have to process and, and, and work through it. And I know that women struggle with that more than men. Uh, men don't, we don't have that problem. Uh, have you ever, ladies, looked at your, your, your husband, your boyfriend, your significant other? Have you ever looked at that guy and said something like this? What are you thinking right now? And then have him look back at you and say, nothing. How many of you have had that experience and how many of you ladies would admit that just frustrates you when he says that? But can I tell you, if he ever says that, let me, let me help you with this, believe him. There ain't nothing going on right then. Men have this ability, we can punch out, check out. I mean, honestly, if, if you put the, e, what is it, the EEG on the brain, if you put those probes on the head, it's what it would look at, just be. <whistles> Women, you cannot, do, you cannot do that. Somebody has to be the responsible one in the relationship, right? But me, we men can do that. And so I'm just suggesting to you, ladies, there is a way whereby to have real, genuine peace. 
And this peace of God is tied to the word transformation. Transformation. When Paul was writing really the text for our series in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he, he says this. He says, stop. Don't do this anymore. Don't be conformed into the pattern of the world. And we've talked about what that expression means, pattern of the world. It means a system that does not consider God in its thinking. We would call it secularism. He says, be careful that you get conformed into a way of thinking that does not entertain, engage, involve God at any level. It is your default setting, and if you're not careful, you can live your life and you can conduct yourself in such a way that God really doesn't enter into your thinking. So Paul is saying, don't do that. You're being conformed instead of being transformed. So he says you have to be proactive. And I'll just submit to you that any positive change in your life, any positive uh, change in your relationship, anything you do, you have to be proactive. Paul Harvey used to say, you know you're on the road to success when it's uphill all the way. <laughs> Paul said, the there's a great door that's opened unto me, but then he said, there are many adversaries. When you think about what he said, basically the door of opportunity will swing on the hinges of opposition. And so I'm just suggesting you that if you'll take charge of your life and you realize I'm not going to be conformed any longer into this pattern, I want to be transformed, you have to be proactive in the process. The word transformed, as we've been talking about, means metamorphosis. It's translated in the same way. The metamorphosis is the biological process where the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and emerges as the butterfly. That's exactly the imagery here. It is the idea that we start as a caterpillar, we engage with our creator, we go through a process, sometimes it's a lifetime process, but we emerge as the person he created us to be. What is inside of us comes outside of us, and the inner nature uh, that is the butterfly finally is realized in the life through this process of transformation. And he says this happens with the renewing of our mind. Everything happens in your mind. You see, when the Bible talks about loving God with all of your heart, you understand that the heart it's referring to there is more than the muscle pumping blood through your body. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it talks about three elements. It speaks of your mind. Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Christianity is not an exercise where you leave your brain in the car and let someone go into a room and think for you. <laughs> You can think for yourself. You can reason it out. It involves your mind. Part of my heart is my mind, my ability to think. Part of my heart is my emotion, how I feel. Part of my heart is my will, what I do. So to love God with all your heart means that I have loved him with my mind, with my will, and with my emotion. When you say to someone, I love you with all my heart, that means everything I am loves all that you are. And part of our heart is our mind. So my point is, if there's going to be real transformation, it begins in the heart, which is, it is the mind. And there are ways whereby you can gauge and measure transformation. Like if you're on a, on a diet or you're working out, you step on the scale and you go, okay, we're doing good here. Or I got a little work to do. <laughs> Maybe we don't go to babes today. <laughs> so you bypass that. You, know, you make good decisions like that. And so it, it monitors, the scale will monitor the, the, the uh, progress of weight loss. Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that there is a way whereby you can monitor, measure transformation. Paul said, I look at my life and it's like looking into a mirror and I'm seeing bits and pieces of who God is reflected in me. 
Part of transformation ultimately is transforming us, according to Romans 8, 29, into the image of his son. In other words, it is the Imago Dei. God is trying to get us back to the original design. He's trying to get us back to what he created us to be, which is a reflection of who he is. So transformation is moving me from what I was to what I could be, and ultimately, it is to be a reflection of who he is. Why is that important? Because my life and yours might be the only Bible someone ever reads. The only picture someone might ever see of Jesus is the picture they see of him and me. That's why Gandhi said, I might have become a Christian if I'd ever seen one. I've told you before, the greatest argument for Christianity is a Christian, and the greatest argument against Christianity is a Christian. So this process of transformation is essential because there are a lot of people that are still weighing out the value of becoming a Christian, and a lot of it is based upon what they see in us. Many times we're just good examples of bad examples. And we need to really think about that and look and see, do I see any progress? Is there any transformation happening in my life? That's why I tie all this into the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. He says, when you partner with God and you know him and you're connected to your creator and you're walking with him on a daily basis, he'll begin to develop some qualities, some characteristics in your life that are obvious. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I told you again, this is not the fruit of the believer. The fruit of the believer is a byproduct of something we do. That's seen in John 15. When you share your faith, remember Jesus commanded his people in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses, he said. It's a command. Now, he didn't say you're to be an attorney. Nothing against attorneys. (laughs) But an attorney will argue the point. You can't argue someone into Christianity. You might win the argument, but you'll lose the person. We're not called to be attorneys to argue a case. We're called to be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness expresses an experience. A witness says, this is what God did for me. I believe he can do that for you. And I'm just going to tell you about my experience. So you share your faith. Well, when someone sees your life and understands your witness and they decide to receive Christ as a result of your influence, that's fruit abounding to your account. That's credit. God says, go you. Way to go. That's John 15. That's the fruit of the believer. This is different. This is the fruit of the Spirit, which means this is something you and I cannot manufacture. This is something God does in and through us. It's part of transformation. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Remember, we started there a couple of weeks ago. I told you in the Greek languages, there are four, or the Greek language are four expressions of love. There's eros. We get the word erotic from that, sensual. There is storge, which is a familiarity with, uh, a fondness for. There is phileo, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. You get friends from that. Now, those three levels of, of uh, love you can, you can do on your own. I mean, you got eros down. <laughs> you got storge down. You can do that one. And you got phileo down. You can do that one. But the highest level of love is agape, it's God's love. For God so loved the world, that's something he can only produce in and through me. That's a love that enables me to love my enemies. That's a love that enables me to forgive people when they've done me wrong. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And so God will produce that part of transformation in your life. You can look and someone can tell you, you seem a lot more loving than you used to be. You're much more passionate and tolerant, and you're, you're much more accepting and forgiving. Well, that's looking into the mirror, seeing a little bit of who God is reflected back at you. Go you. That's part of transformation. 
And then the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I talked about that last week. Joy, remember, is different from happiness. Our English word happiness comes from an old English word, happenstance. We use this word circumstance. It's the idea if your circumstance is good, you're happy. If it's bad, you're unhappy. And in this case, what he's talking about is not happiness. He's talking about joy. Listen, you can have joy when you're unhappy. Joy is an inside job. Joy is a deep sense of contentment that comes in your life. It's a feeling of well-being that comes only from God. And you can have that regardless of what's going on in your life. Remember when Jesus was comforting his apostles in John 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. He didn't say, let not your life be troubled. Their lives were troubled. He didn't change that. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Did you know you can have an untroubled heart with a troubled life? You can have all kinds of crazy going on around you and be calm within you. You can be going through a difficult storm in your life, but have peace within your heart because it is the result of your partnership with God. It indicates transformation. The Apostle Paul, I told you last week, was really a great illustration of this because he wrote an entire little letter to people in Philippi about joy. And in that letter, we're going to see also the third quality that I'm talking about this morning. He talked about peace a peace that passes all understanding. It transcends our ability to even comprehend this level of peace that we can attain. And God will develop this peace within our heart. Paul had it. Paul had this peace. He said, it's the peace of God that is guarding me. He said, it's the peace of God that is guiding me. It's the peace of God, if I could put it in our vernacular, it's keeping the bubble in the middle. When life is chaotic and difficult, he said, I'm able to stay anchored and focused and balanced because of God's peace. And then he gave five practical ways to keep that peace. See, it's one thing to attain it. It's another thing to keep it. You know, we come into these big, you know, gatherings. I call them holy huddles. <laughs> and we talk a little bit about the play. You know, we look, at the, we look at the playbook and I share with you a little bit and you take away something from it. And maybe this is going to be your assignment this week. And you, we break out of the holy huddle and then we have to go execute the play so it becomes effective in our life. And so Paul was talking about things that we have to proactively do to guard the peace that God has given us in our life. Most of us don't know how to do that. We're all ignorant. We're just ignorant on different subjects. <laughs> so we don't really know how to do that all the time. By the way, have you ever thought about this? Ignorance, real ignorance, is not seen so much in what a person doesn't know as it is seen in what a person thinks they know that isn't so. And so I'm just suggesting to you that sometimes we're, we're ignorant because we think we know something that just isn't so. Now, I want to give you something very practical before we go home that will help you guard the peace. Number one, he said, look at verse six, worry about no thing. <laughs> worry about no thing. Your translation may have it as I had it in this one. Be anxious for nothing. It means the same thing. By definition, to worry or to be anxious means to be pulled in different directions. You ever feel like you're getting pulled in different directions? That's why it's so important to make decisions based on priority, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, because if not, your daily life is going to pull you in different directions. Paul said, don't worry. You say, well, that's easy for Paul to say. Well, understand, he's not riding from his condo on Maui here. <laughs> he's chained between prison guards. This guy's facing the loss of his life under Nero. 
So Paul was in a terrible circumstance. He's not happy, but he is full of joy, and he's writing about peace, and he's saying, one of the ways I guard the peace is when I guard my heart, and I found I have to do this by not worrying about anything. Let me give you two things you should never worry about. You ready? Don't worry about anything you can do something about. If you can do something about, quit worrying and go do something. Fix it. If you have to get up at one or two in the morning because you can't sleep anyway, remember the mind won't turn off. <laughs> so you wake up and you get up. I would say get a game plan. Get a game plan. Maybe it's a person and not a thing that you're going to have to deal with the next day. So you're going to have to have a hard conversation. Don't you hate those? Maybe it involves confrontation. Well, remember the three rules of confrontation. Pick the right time. Pick the right tone. Pick the right turf. <laughs> and then have the talk. And so get a game plan. So if you can fix it, don't worry about it, do it. Number two, here's the second thing you should never worry about, things you can't do anything about. If you can't fix it, what are you worried about it for? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, take no thought for some of these things. You're looking at the sparrows. The sparrows aren't worried. I'll take care of those sparrows. The lilies of the field, they're not. When's the last time you saw a stressed out sparrow? Chewing on his little, you know, on his little, you got it. You just have never seen it. I've never seen a sparrow in therapy. <laughs> I'm not against it. Been there, <laughs> done some of that. I'm just suggesting, Jesus said, look at nature. I'm taking care of nature in such a way, they don't worry about anything. You think those kids over there are worried about anything? Honest to God. You think those kids are stressed about the, their payment, the business this week? When's the last time your five-year-old got in the car and said, you know, I don't know. I hope that deal comes through. I'm a little worried about that contract. You know what they're worried about? When are we going to eat? When can I go play? I'm just saying God created us. If we could just kind of get back to the imago day, to the original design, we, we bring a lot of this on ourselves. Paul said, stop it. That's the pattern. That's the system that doesn't include God in its thinking. You've got a God who can do anything. What are you worried about? I mean, time to time in the Bible, he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, he stepped from nowhere. He stood on nothing. He spoke everything into existence, and it stays there because he tells it to. I just suggest to you that you don't have a sin he can't forgive. You ain't that bad. He says, oh, you don't know how to, oh, you ain't that bad. Quit bragging on how bad you are. There's somebody out there a lot worse than you are. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Line them all up. I'm the worst of the bunch. There's no sin he can't forgive. There's no problem he can't solve. You're not faced something this morning he cannot handle. You've never gone to him to prayer and had him respond to you, wow, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Corey Ten Boom said there are no, there's no panic in heaven, there are only plans. So there's no sin he can't forgive. There's no problem he can't solve. Get this, there's no burden he can't lift. You didn't bring anything into this room. You're not watching online carrying anything right now God can't lift off of you. You know what I found in my life? One of two things happen in this process, and we'll talk about this next week, but he will either give you the strength to carry or he will lift it from you. But I'm, my point is there's nothing he can't do. So what are you worried about? <laughs> what are you worried about? Somebody said, I tell you, it pays to worry because everything I worry never comes to pass. I said, think about that. Worry about no thing. How do you do that? Paul connects it with this. Pray about all things. Pray about all things. Isn't that funny how he connects worry to prayer? So here's what I would take from that. I would say that when you find yourself worrying, pray about what you're worrying about. 
Talk about learning how to pray. <laughs> that, that will do it. Whatever you worry about, pray about. Connect prayer with, with worry. Paul said, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything, but everything by prayer. So take the thing you're stressed about. Take the thing that's pulling you apart right now. And instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd. Just simply say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the burden I'm carrying. Connect the thing you worry about. Connect that to prayer. The Bible says in John 16, 24, ask and you will receive and you'll do this so your joy may be full. So let's put this together. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And then he says again in verse six, listen, be thankful for everything. So we're to pray, but we're to pray with thanksgiving, with this attitude of gratitude. And I, I, I contend this morning that my gratitude is tied to my trust. The more I learn to trust God, the more thankful I am for him. Meaning that when I realize that God works with purpose, he works for purpose, he works on purpose, that he is intentional, he may not cause everything that happens to me to happen, he permits some of the things that happen to me to happen, but the point is he has a reason for everything. Romans 8, 28, we know all things, good, bad, happy, sad, all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called to his purpose. So when you understand that and you trust him, you get what, what uh, Micah talked about last week when he talked about going into James 1, when he says, count it joy when you go into trials. You don't always thank God because the times are good. You thank him because he's good. If the only time I'm grateful to God is when things are going my way and everything is going good, then I'm not going to be grateful when things start going bad and I'm not going to trust him. Here's what I found, and maybe you've discovered this. The only constant in my life is God. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything in the world is changing except him. He's constant. So once you realize that, you understand that, that if I'm going in a storm or if I'm going into smooth sailing, God's in control of it all. He has a purpose for it. And so I can be thankful, not for necessarily my circumstance, but that God is going to work through the circumstance to make me stronger. Transformation. We pray a lot about our circumstances, and we should. I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But have you ever stopped to think about it? It's probably not the circumstance God needs to change, but it's us. He's not trying to transform my circumstance. He's trying to transform me, and he'll use my circumstance as the process through which to do that. So if you're tracking with me, we want to worry about no things. We want to pray about all things. We want to be thankful for everything. Number four, we want to think the best things. See that down in verse eight. If there's virtue, praise, if there's anything good and positive, think on these things. Here's what I know. You can't think two thoughts at the same time. And the way you replace a bad thought is with a good thought. The Bible says, don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. Just replace it. The most powerful thing God has given us is our mind. Our mind is powerful. And we have an enemy that knows that. If you were to be attacked by a dog, you would try to subdue the dog at the point of its strength. You wouldn't grab his tail, <laughs> you'd grab his teeth. If you're walking down the trail and you encounter a rattlesnake, you're not gonna grab its rattle, you're gonna grab its head and control its fangs. The point I'm making is if the enemy is gonna subdue people, he will attack them at the point of their strength, which is how you think, your mind. That's why in Proverbs 4, he says, as a person thinks in their heart, 
so will they be. We've said you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So the mind is a powerful thing. We're here today because we first thought ourselves here. When you leave in a little bit, you'll go wherever you're going because you first thought yourself there. There's a reason we came into the world head first. You will go from one dimension into the next dimension of life with your mind, your head first. You got to think yourself there. And so it's important that we understand that the mind is so powerful, we have to be proactive in the way that we think. That's why they say garbage in, garbage out. Well, listen, good stuff in, good stuff out. Surround yourself with good people. You're going to have some draining relationships as a part of life. You're going to have people in your life you pour into, and that's part of what we do. But you are a, you're a limited resource. You better have some people in your orbit that pour back into you. You're going to need that encouragement. You can't give what you don't have any more than you can come from where you've not been. So if you're not taking in, you're going to have nothing eventually to give out. And so you got to watch the gauges of your life and make sure that you have some people around you who are replenishing you and not just draining you. So this idea of thoughts and this idea of positive has to do with the people I surround myself with. You need some safe people. Do you have safe people in your life? I mean, not just associates, the storge, not even uh, necessarily the friends, you've got those, but you've got those safe people that will allow you to have a bad day. Maybe say something that isn't, maybe say something you don't even believe. Have you ever said something you couldn't even believe you said it when you heard it? (laughs) Psychologists will say most of the time, if you can get people to talk about what they think about, they won't believe what they heard themselves say. But it's important. Do you have anybody you can talk like that to? Just have a bad day and just, be, just put it all out there on the table and they're not going to go post it up somewhere on you. <laughs> or they're not going to say, pray for them. I've seen, I've seen gossip wrapped in prayer in so many churches. You know, he's an alcoholic. Let's pray for him. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, his name is, you know. <laughs> just, it's okay to pray for people, but you don't have to tag them. <laughs> You don't have to have a source. I'm just saying be careful with this because you need people in your life that you can be honest with and open with that aren't going to in turn use that information to harm or hurt you. A deck of cards, you got four aces. If you got four people like that in your life, you're pretty fortunate. Well, what's my point? My point is be discerning. If you're going to have positive thoughts, you surround yourself with the right kind of people and you need some safe people in your circle. That's all I'm saying. Here's the last one. Verse number nine, do the right thing. Do the right thing. He said, put these things into practice. Remember the analogy of the holy huddle? If we break out of here in our lives, we don't put anything we've talked about into practice, nothing changes. Nothing changes. To him who knows to do good, remember James said, and they don't do the good they know to do, it just works against you. It becomes sin. So you got to put it into practice. Put it into practice. In fact, I like this one in uh, Galatians 5. He says, if you will walk in the Spirit, that means partner with God. If you will walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can I give you a, a great guarantee of not messing yourself up, messing your life up? The best way to do it is wake up every day determined to do the right thing. I don't think the big challenge is your five year plan. I've never been able to put that together anyway. It's not, you know what, you know what the big challenge is? It's your five minute plan. What you do the next five minutes will impact what happens in your life in the next five years. Make good decisions in the moment. 
Make good decisions. Do the right thing. Walk in the spirit, he said, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've told you this principle before, but when you see someone who's doing what they shouldn't be doing, it's because they stopped doing what they should have been doing. If you'll do what you should do, you can't do what you shouldn't do. And when you're doing what you shouldn't do, it's because you stopped doing what you should do. So the best way to right the ship is do what I should do and I can't do what I shouldn't do. It's not rocket science. Just wake up every day and say, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what I should do and I can't be doing what I shouldn't do. And that's all Paul was saying. If you want to guard the peace that is around your heart, do determine to do every day what you should do. Listen to Isaiah 26. God will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him and your mind stays on him because you trust him. One last verse and we'll go. Psalm 32, verse 8. David gives us a little insight into how this is done. He says that as you partner with God, he has an ability to guide you with his eye, to guide you with his eye. When I read that, I thought about that, and I understood that. As I said, Cindy and I married for 42 years, and I learned how you can be guided with an eye. Let me illustrate it this way. Guys, you ever been out to dinner with a few couples, and all of a sudden you feel inspired to share a funny story of something she did last week that you thought was hilarious and she didn't? And you didn't do what a wise man will do in the car on the way to dinner, and that's clear the stories that you're going to tell with her? Anybody done that? So you're just out here, you're off-roading, man. You're just going for it, and you're just, and all of a sudden you, you just decide, you feel inspired, I'm gonna tell this funny story. And so you're right in the middle of your story, and here's what happens to you. All of a sudden, you look across the table, and you, your eyes meet. <laughs> I mean, and all of a sudden, your brain is telling you, abort the mission. This is a terrible mistake. Change the ending. You, and all of a sudden, you, you act like you just forgot where you were going, and you kind of wrap the story up like, I'm just a stupid man, let's eat dessert. You know, or you say something, I don't know. You just try to get out of the story. Well, what happened in that moment? I can tell you what happened in that moment. She just guided you with her eyes. All she did is look at you, and with a look, you knew exactly. Why, why? You know that girl. You know her so well that she doesn't even have to say anything to you. She can just look at you, and you know exactly what you should do or what you should not do. That's what the psalmist had in mind. He said he guides us with his eye. I would call it discernment. You just kind of know what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what I should say, what I shouldn't say, where I should go, where I shouldn't go. When you partner with him, walk in the Spirit, he'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And at the end of the day, you'll guard the peace and the joy and the love that he's pouring into your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day that we celebrate moms. And first and foremost, Lord, I just want to pray for your blessing on each of these incredible ladies those in the room and those watching and those who will watch the service through the course of the week. I pray you'll bless them. Help us as families to honor them. Truly, the moms are the heart of any home. And I pray this will be a great day. I pray we'll celebrate them all the time, every day. You said to give honor to whom honor is due and to pay tribute to whom tribute is due, and certainly they're worthy. And so, Lord, I pray you'll bless them. And Father, I pray for my friends here today who may never have trusted you as their Savior. They may never have stepped through that threshold of faith. I pray this might be the moment where they just humble their heart right where they are, pray a simple prayer like this, and say, Lord Jesus, 
with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. Be a reality in my life. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray it'll be a productive week. Help us to find opportunities to express your love, to experience your joy, to protect your peace. I pray you'll be glorified in each life. I pray a blessing over all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.